center and coming in as Loom. Illinois centered it. Talk with Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, we are underway this hour. It is Tuesday, April 11th. It's Flames Talk the day after the team was eliminated from playoff contention. Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. Steinberg with you. Welcome to the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit CalgaryLockAndSafe.com. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Mr. Gilbertson. What's going on? Oh, we have a lot to dig into, don't we? Yeah, we uh, just a little bit anyway. Luckily, we may or may not have a few months to dig into it. Although... Some of this stuff might start hitting us rather hot and heavy in the next few weeks. But yeah, we've got uh, we've got a few things to dig into, some big picture stuff to get into. Let's do it right now. Let's go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Calgary's is the only family of products curated for the taste of Calgarians, and you'll only find them at Calgary Co-op. So the big picture stuff with this team after a playoff elimination is going to dominate the offseason. We have weeks and weeks to dissect, but at the same time, if we didn't start that process the day after, if we didn't start... Um, even kind of surface level digging into this stuff, I think we'd be doing a disservice. Uh, first off, let, let me just state this, that honestly, this is a straight up, th- this, this season is a straight up abject failure for the organization. I don't think there's any way that you can phrase it differently because with this group, with this payroll, with the direction they chose in the offseason, when they opted to go all in on staying competitive as opposed to going in a different direction and potentially retooling or rebuilding with the hand of cards they were dealt with Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk deciding to leave. For them to go all in on right now and to acquire the players they did from Florida, sign them to long-term extensions, to sign a 30-plus-year-old Nazem Kadri to a seven-year extension, to do all of that, and then to miss the playoffs, you have wasted a year. And your window to win, your window to have success with this group is finite. And it ain't five, six, seven years. It, it's more than one, but we're talking like, I don't know, three, four years at most to have that success with this new core group. And to waste one of those years when it's such a finite window, you have to give them a failing grade. It's a straight up F of a season uh, and you can choose whatever word you want F to stand for, but yeah, that grades an F. I don't think there's, is there any, like there's no way to spin it. You can talk about the little positives, Michael Backlund's year or Tyler Toffoli's year or Dylan Dubé's year or Rasmus Anderson's year or what you're seeing in the farm or the fight they showed down the stretch and how long they were able to stay in it. Blah, blah, blah. Doesn't, it doesn't pave over the fact that, that they're still getting an F for the season. Does it like that? I, I, am I, am I being too harsh when grading the year that they have just had? No, because you're all in on winning right now. And 
the way that you don't win a championship in this league is not get a chance to play in the Stanley Cup tournament. And so, no, I don't think you are being too harsh. And and yes, there's positives that we can look at. And you listed off a few of them. But this team, with the direction, to steal your word, that they chose, with the age of their roster, with the money that's committed, with the fact that to bolster their roster, they traded around, traded away, I'm sorry, one of the first round picks that they were going to have this summer. With the coach they have, who's a win now coach, with the mindset or the approach that they've had to injecting youth into their lineup, which is we're probably not going to. All those reasons made the Flames a team that told us in not so many words, we expect to win now. And they're not in the playoffs. And you can't win when you're not in there. And we can go through, and we covered this on the roundtable, all the reasons that made this season maybe an anomaly. All the stats that are just almost hard to wrap your head around. But no, you're not being too harsh. This season is a failure because you're not a playoff team. I think we potentially could have been having a conversation about whether this season would be a failure if you weren't in the second round of the playoffs. When you go back to September or October, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that the goal was actually higher than just getting into the playoffs. Now, Daryl Sutter has groused constantly about the media expectations for this team being out of whack, but I don't think that the internal expectations were actually any different. And so, yes, F, it's a failure. I don't, and I I think that we're still talking about it sinking in. This this was Rasmus Anderson postgame when speaking to reporters on Monday night following the playoff elimination. I think for a lot of guys uh, last night, Monday night, still a lot of shock inside that locker room. Like, Michael Backlund and Jacob Markstrom barely had words following the game. Rasmus Anderson was the longest of the post games. Uh, Andrew Mangiapane was very similar with me on our Flames Talk post game show, just kind of in shock and and very stung. But uh, listen a little bit to to Rasmus Anderson because uh, he was he was pretty honest and and gave some great stuff post game on Monday night. Raz, when you guys run on pulp for as long as you did, and then it and suddenly in the show like is there almost a sense of sort of shock mixed in with the i mean it's it's so it's it's still so fresh i think i think coming in tonight i wake up tomorrow you're you're gonna realize uh one opportunity we missed and um you know and now it's you know you can hardly believe it and and it's uh you know it's painful and um and yeah, so I mean, I, I think you know, coming home tonight and waking up tomorrow—that's when you, that's when you're gonna realize that um, we're out, and um, it sucks. Did, did the outside expectations affect this group any more than you thought it would? No, I think we, uh, I think we had the most expectations in here, and um, I mean, if you, you don't really, you don't really pay too much attention to outside uh, expectations and. Uh, you know, but you live in Canada, you know, you're, uh, you know, if you watch a highlight after your game, you know, people talk and you see it, but 
uh, no, you, you don't, uh, we had more expectations on ourselves than, uh, than the outside world. And, um, but just, you know, as I said, it's, um, it's still fresh and it's brutal. It's brutal. Honestly, it's just, it's brutal. So that was Rasmus Anderson post game. First, I, you know, that's more captain like material. If you're, is it ever, if, if, you know, there's there's a number of roads they could go down. By the way, I, I do think this is something for another day as well, but I do think it's time to name a captain. Two seasons without, I, I think you've got enough of a book as to who you can put the C on, and I think he's a really good candidate. We talked a lot about Michael Backlund. If he wants to be here long-term, I think he'd be a really good candidate. So I just thought there was more really captain-like stuff from Rasmus on Monday night postgame. But that's basically a guy admitting they wasted an opportunity this year. And, and when he talked about driving home and getting up the next day and what an opportunity they missed and, and they didn't miss the opportunity because of the Chicago loss. They didn't miss the opportunity because of the Nashville loss or the Vancouver loss. They missed the opportunity because they, they weren't good enough all year long and they couldn't figure it out. It was, it was more than, there's more than one moment that we're going to come away from, you know, Nick Ritchie going in the shootout. Isn't the only moment that, you know, there are, Probably you could need 40 hands to point to the different things that, that led to the eventuality of where they are. And, and for me, it kind of, it goes down to the whole idea of, you know, symptoms and then cause, right? Or symptoms and problem. And that's where, as we dig in on the big picture stuff, whether it was the inconsistency or not being able to string wins together or the top players not dragging their weight as consistently as they need to, extra time being such a problem, you know, not being able to beat teams way below you in the standings, those all feel like symptoms of, of maybe the, the bigger issue to me and whether it's the team not being good enough and, and just the roster construction not being good enough or them not being a more cohesive group and them being as disjointed and dysfunctional as it seemed like they were this year. Those seem like the actual like root causes. And then you've got the symptoms on top of it. If that, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because what you're suggesting, and I'm not saying that you're saying that's the case, but what you're wondering, was this team just not, not a good enough team or was the roster not good enough? is something that we haven't heard. And you never have players stand at their lockers and say, we're just not that good. But you can kind of get hints of it when they know that they're a team that's going to be on the bubble, that they feel like their talent level puts them in that mix of teams that might not make the playoffs. And you don't get that sense from these Calgary Flames. And it's what is going to make the postseason autopsy so interesting is trying to get to the root cause of why this team underachieved as badly as it did. Why so many important players had such awful seasons and why the sum of the parts was, or or the result was so much less than it should have been. I, I keep going back to, it's funny, whenever a season ends, there's always a soundbite or two that stick in your mind. And there's two for me. One is going all the way back to September when Bradshaw Living said this idea of winning the summer is crap. Yep. We want to win in the winter. And I've been thinking a lot about that comment in the last 24 hours. And the other one that is really sticking with me is Blake Coleman saying 
we're a good team that doesn't know how to win. That is a damning statement about a group that had a bunch of guys who have won, that had a bunch of guys making big money, that had a bunch of guys with a ton of experience. You know, why, why is everyone so excited to see Matt Coronado and Dustin Wolf tomorrow? Because this team needs an infusion of youth. They need some promise for the future. And, yeah. and it just adds to the autopsy. How did a team that you built to go win playoff series in April and May, potentially in June, not even get there? Yeah. And I don't think we know yet. And I, I'm not sure that we'll ever know without being in the room. Because it's probably not as simple as it was that guy's fault or it was that guy's fault or, hey, here's an injury nobody knew about. It seems like way more than that. There was so much that went into that. This, this, this one feels more like, this, this season feels more like, like you don't underachieve. And I, I firmly believe this is a group that, that severely underachieved. Absolutely. And that's not absolving them. That's not me saying it was bad luck. No, they, they, they underachieved because they didn't perform. And I think when I try to, and, and, and when you talk to different people and when you start to make your own kind of conclusion on this season, and we're just starting to get to that point because we're not even 24 hours removed as we talk right now to them being officially eliminated. But when you have a team that I believe was as disjointed as they were, and you have as many instances publicly, which we know of. And if there, if there are that many that are getting to the media and to you as a fan, you have to imagine that it was a larger number behind closed doors. But when you're talking about veterans and key players not being on the same page as the coach and I think that that leads to some strife behind closed doors and headbutting behind closed doors. And I think that that leads into more negativity and more frustration. And then the losing begins. And I think it turns into a massive snowball that runs downhill. And it becomes one that doesn't matter how hard they play and how much they fight and how many guys were able to, to push back on it or whatever. I think it becomes a runaway train or a runaway snowball. And and honestly, that to me is my best hypothesis as how this thing went off the rails the way that it did. I think it's extremely difficult to eventually get it back on the rails or ultimately get it back on the rails. And and I think those types of things manifest themselves on the ice. And and I think that, you know, if you want to point to just Daryl Sutter and say it's on him. Well, no, if you're going to have butting of heads or not seeing eye to eye, there's two sets of eyes there. And so I don't think it's just on Daryl Sutter, nor do I think it's just on Jonathan Huberto or Nazem Kadri or any other potential names, veterans that, that were not on the same page as the coach. It takes two to not be there. But I think when that happens, and I think it's pretty clear that was happening at different times throughout the year, I think it can be really hard to block out the negativity and not let that frustration get the better of you as a group on the ice. It makes it really hard to be a cohesive group on and off the ice. 
and bam, you get a year that is an unmitigated disaster when it's all said and done. Let me ask you this, though. Did Daryl Sutter coach this team differently than he coached the Calgary Flames last season? And just let me set this up for you. And and I'm not absolving Daryl Sutter of the blame, but is the rift that we keep hearing about or or the disconnect between Daryl Sutter and some of his key pieces. Is that the reason that this team didn't win? Or when this team wasn't winning, did the disconnect start? Kind of like the chicken, the chicken and egg conversation. Daryl Sutter is a taskmaster and he was last year. And the reason that guys put up with it or the reason that maybe put up with it is not the right way to put it, but the, the reason it draw, draws the best out of you is when things start going the right way. You can respond to that sort of criticism, to that sort of never good enough, never good enough, never good enough, if you believe it's making you better. This year it wasn't making their team better. And so that's one of the many questions that I'd like the answer to is, is is that a cause of why yeah. the season went the way it did? Or is that a result of the way that it started to go? Well, and I think you had a, a coach that pushed a lot of correct buttons last year with personnel that maybe was better suited for how he pushed buttons. I mean, look, Johnny Gaudreau, I, if you want to talk about Matthew Kachuk leaving because of not being on the same page as Daryl Sutter, I can buy into that. I don't think that was the case with Johnny. I think John, Johnny left for other reasons, and we can still be, and you can still be pissed off for Johnny as to how he left, but... There's a podcast that'll circle back on that tomorrow. Yeah, probably. But I think he pushed the right buttons with Johnny, and he got the best season out of him, and that was the right personality. I think Eric Goodbranson was a really good fit for the way Daryl wanted to go about business. I think Nikita Zadorov and and... Tyler Toffoli have been very good fits. I don't think that he pushed the right buttons with Jonathan Huberdeau. I don't. I don't think that uh, Jonathan responded to the way Daryl goes about his business. I don't think Nazem Kadri did. And I think that partially lies on Daryl's shoulders. Or or not even partially. I think that that a good chunk of that lies. Because your job as a coach is X's and O's. Your job as a coach is to design a strategic game plan to suit your personnel, which we can argue, yeah, but it's also your job to individually relate to and get the most out of your players. And I don't think that he he did that last year. Those same methods with these personalities didn't work this year. And in this day and age, part of being a successful professional coach in the multi-million dollar, billion dollar world of pro sports in North America is to tailor your approach in different ways to different guys. And I don't believe that happened anywhere near successfully enough or anywhere near as successful as it was last year. It's not only an expectation of a coach, but it is part of Daryl Sutter's reputation. When you talk to people who have played for him, who are familiar with the organizations he's coached in, whether that was as a Stanley Cup winner or one of his other stops, you hear a couple of things. He is always pushing buttons and 
has a reputation as a guy who can oftentimes push the right ones. And the second thing being that he in game is a masterful bench manager. He is terrific at those in game adjustments that can be so important. I'm not sure we saw evidence of either this season. We saw a team, when you talk about in game adjustments, we saw a team that couldn't come back in the third period. We saw a team that too often was not, by their own admission, prepared to play. Some of that needs to fall on the players. Some of that needs to fall on the head coach. And we saw evidence that, especially with some of the high-profile new guys, he wasn't pushing the right buttons. And so he's absolutely part of the... He's absolutely part of the examination that has to take place starting today and moving forward is... Is he the right fit? It. What can he do differently? Or what needs to be different around him? All, all those things need to come into play because you you can put this on Jacob Markstrom and he's going to wear a big piece of it. You can put this on Jonathan Huberdeau. Yep. He's going to wear a big piece of it. You can put this on Nazem Kadri and he's going to wear a big piece of it. And all deservedly so, Daryl Sutter needs to wear some of the blame as well. And there's, like, look, there's no absolution in this thing. There really isn't, because it's it's on a lot of different shoulders as to how this happened. And look, you know, that, that we were just very critical of some of the things that I think Daryl Sutter's management of, of rosters and player utilization was nowhere near as successful or nowhere near as strong as it was last year. Like, point blank. Nowhere close. The, there's no reason why Jacob Pelche should have sat the last 10 games. None. And and or or to completely juggle juggle up the lines after a five and two start, and and what looked like a group that was gelling and was cohesive even after a loss to the Oilers still is a head scratcher. Those things he nailed it in every way, shape, and form the season before. This year, a lot of those things that were gut calls they just didn't work, and so we can be very critical of Daryl. And I think rightfully so. And in saying that, if he's not pushing the right buttons on Jonathan Huberdeau, that's on him. But if Jonathan Huberdeau, and I'm just using him as an example because he's the most high-profile guy that clearly has not been on the same page with the coach this year. If Jonathan isn't adjusting the way that he responds, like it's partly on him too. For sure. You, you, you don't you don't have a a relationship doesn't go wrong because one person is nailing it and the other one isn't. You know, there's always that there's always that responsibility on the other party to okay, well if this guy is the authority figure and he's the one who sets the lineup and he's the one that is supposed to get the most out of me, but it's not working do I also have to change the way that I'm accepting the message? And I think there's some responsibility there. The problem is one guy's got an eight-year contract that hasn't started, right? And is just about ready to start making $84 million guaranteed on July 1st. And that that's why I think the coaching conversation is so easy to go to right off the bat and why that's the one that so many people go to immediately. Well, and I love your example, so I want I want to continue with it because you're absolutely right. You know, it's fair to wonder what what's going on with Jonathan Huberdeau and and Daryl Sutter, and it's fair to wonder what each guy could have done differently to make that work. And for me, it's no different than how many times did we sit in these two chairs and wonder aloud why Jonathan Huberdeau and Nazem Kadri had no chemistry on what was then. 
the Calgary Flames' second line. Well, if it's fair to wonder why Huberto and Kadri don't click as line mates, it's fair to wonder why Huberto and Sutter or when why Kadri and Sutter aren't clicking in what is an equally important relationship for the Calgary Flames. It's it's all fair. This this is what and Daryl gets it. If he's walking around listening, he gets it. This is what happens in a hockey market when a team falls this far short of expectations. There is going to be criticism leveled at everybody. There are going to be fingers pointed at absolutely everybody. Yep. They deserved it after the season they had. But Frank Saravalli, I love the way he put it. Daryl didn't forget how to coach, but it didn't work this year. So why not? I uh, and and it then leads to the whole conversation of what the hell happens next. And again, we've got days and weeks to 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 dissect it. But also, I think it's important to uh, start those conversations the day after they get eliminated. What happens now? The GM doesn't have a contract for next year. You have got to figure that out ASAP. Is Brad True living your first guy? priority? It has to be because every, any any other type of move, whether it's a new coach or the same coach, whether it's new players or the same players, you have to have somebody making the hockey ops decisions that you know is going to be here for next season and beyond. Right? Is that Brad True living? Does he want to stay, or or does he want to walk? I. The Flames clearly have had interest in keeping him here because there have been contract offers tabled over the last eight months. There was a contract offer on the table, I, I, I firmly believe, prior to the start of the season when Daryl signed his extension. So it's not like the Flames were like, no, 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 we, we are, we're not sure. There's clearly been, um, in some form or another, desire to keep him from a Flames standpoint. But also, it has to work for the other side, and... Does Brad want to stay long-term? Is you know, I think there's been examples of GM and coach not always being on the same page. Let's recall Matthew Phillips, but he only plays twice and plays 16 minutes combined in those two games or whatever it was. Let's recall Jacob Pelche and sit him for the first six, and then, you know, when he plays, what number is he? I, I think there have been multiple examples there where that's been a realistic conversation. Does Brad want to be back? That's a fair question. But you got to get that figured out in the next few weeks, I would suggest. Now, and and it's a fair question on the other side. Do the Flames, and, and we've heard the <clears throat> speculation about past offers, and we don't know why it hasn't got done up to this point, but do the Flames still want Brad to live in back? Yeah. And that, and you and I talked about this, that, you know, there's a lot of, insiders doing really good work, breaking all sorts of NHL news. Well, I'm not sure anyone has an in with the guy who makes this decision, and that's Murray Edwards. I don't know that anyone actually knows which way the Flames are leaning on the future of their general manager. Yep, I believe that. And I don't think the closest people to the closest insiders, reporters, whatever, to the GM know which way he's leaning either. Because he's holding his cards extremely close to Absolutely. the vest, as he should. And there's a lot that always happens behind the scenes after what happened last night. Yep. Any time a team is eliminated, whether they've been eliminated for weeks or whether they're eliminated in Game 81 or Game 82, there's a pretty thorough process 
interviews with everybody, all sorts of meetings, all sorts of assessment, all sorts of scouting your own performance through the season to try and figure out what went wrong and what needs to change. Now, the Calgary Flames need to make some decisions, I think, in fairly short order. You don't need to rush them, but if Brad Treliving is calling the shots for the next two or three seasons, he needs to know sooner than later. And if he's not calling the shots anymore, you need a replacement here sooner than later because this franchise cannot afford to get stuck in the mud right now. And the last thing that that I will say to kind of preview the offseason that is very, very quickly upon us is they have significant players entering the final year of contracts. Do they ever. And knowing what happened the last time they had a significant player entering the final year of a contract seems like it was not that far back ago. But Just hang on. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm sure it'll come to you at some point. Yeah, give me a second. The Here's what I know. You probably can't have Elias Lindholm or Michael Backlund sitting or standing in front of us at the beginning of training camp in September saying, yeah, I'm going to leave that uh, to Tree or whoever the GM is. I'm going to leave that to my agent. I'm not going to comment on it for the rest of the year. How can you not have that, though, with how many guys are up at the end of next season? I think you you need to be whoever the general manager is. You need to, and you might have to, you might have to use some of your own intuition, but you got to start. If you have a desire to re-sign Michael Backlund, if you have a desire to extend Elias Lindholm long-term, you have got to start that on July 1st. You have got to start doing that in a very, very uh, direct and aggressive fashion, deliberate fashion, as soon as you can. And then when you get an idea, okay, this is going to happen, let's make it happen. You know what? We don't feel like it's going to happen. We're going to make the move. You have got to be that okay because you cannot have multiple guys that are going into next. You cannot run into a situation where, oh, we're good. We can't trade these guys. That's something that I, unless you're okay with making a pragmatic move at the trade deadline, which this team has never really seemed to be okay with doing. If if you're okay with going into the off season, sorry, into the next season, let's just say say Elias Lindholm's name. If you're okay with going into next season with Elias Lindholm not having a contract for the year beyond, then you have also got to be okay with trading him at the deadline, no matter how good your team is. And if you're not okay with both of those things, then you have got to make a move in the offseason unless you're able to to, to sign him long-term. And I would suggest that on the Elias Lindholm front, uncertain would be where the organization is as to his desire to sign beyond next year. I think the same would be the case even with Michael Backlund, who has been somewhat noncommittal in the last little bit about getting to a thousand games as a member of the flames and stuff like that. So, and that always happens now. And and I'm not saying that those guys might not be wondering whether the, the grass could be green or somewhere else, but you also need to take the time to digest what was an absolute meat grinder of a season. It 
has not been a lot of fun for the Calgary Flames. And that's not just based on so-and-so's agent on Twitter. Yep. And so, yeah, I'm sure lots of them are are probably going to be boarding flights in a few days thinking, hmm, geez, I wonder what it is like to play for another organization. I, I'm, you know, I'm jealous of all these teams I see playing on my flat screen next week. And, and yet, I think everyone needs to take a little bit of a deep breath before you start firing everyone out the door because you think they're gone forever. Agreed. I just think you have to be very deliberate about that this off season. Yeah. You, you can't have a plan that's only for next season. You can't have a plan that just takes you to the 2024 Stanley cup playoffs. There's too many monumental decisions looming for this team. That's uh, just scratching the surface of the offseason ahead. Um, I think we'll have more and more and more time to go into each one of those things that we kind of went rapid fire through on for hours on end in the next number of weeks and months. We got to start making a list. We got to circle back on the captain discussion. I think that's a Absolutely. good one. Absolutely. I think it's a, a fascinating one. Uh, that's your look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Calgary's is the only family of products curated for the taste of Calgarians, and you'll only find them at Calgary Co-op. This is Flames Talk. A few more rapid fire topics around the corner than Jays joined in progress. Jays and Tigers just after six o'clock. It's Pat and Wes on Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite. NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, I guess it's fitting that the uh, Flames season came to an end the way that it did. Um, A one goal loss in extra time with a massive edge in shots um, and an opposing goaltender slamming the door. That was um, very on brand of the Calgary Flames on Monday night for this season, wasn't it? That was... That was an encapsulation of the season in 65 minutes and four rounds of a shootout. I think everyone in the Scotiabank Saddledome knew when that game went beyond 60 minutes that they were in trouble. Yep. And they had a ton of chances in overtime. Yep. What a great play by Tyson Berry on Rasmus Anderson. Yeah. And then Raz... He, he body slammed the guys. How is that not a penalty? But the refs are like, no, we're not. Uh, we're just going to put him away here. We're just going to let him play. Uh, and good on Rasmus for taking advantage of it. Um, I don't. I don't get. We'll just go rapid fire through a few things. You know, this hour was largely dominated in some big picture things. So a couple of smaller picture things. I don't. I I never fully understood the idea of. Jacob Pelche sitting for the last 10 games in a row. Um, you know, he had come in, he sat, I, I got why he sat for six games to start. And then he got in and he played, what, 21 games or 20 games in a row. And I know the production wasn't great, but at no point did it feel like Jacob Pelche wasn't an NHL or while he was in. Then he got sat out for a little bit. They brought him back in for the LA game. They got blown out in. 
everybody was awful that night. And then he comes out and doesn't come back in. I will never quite understand that one because for a team that at different times over the last 10 games have looked like they've started games in a trepidatious or, or tentative matter or have looked like they needed a shot of energy and enthusiasm at times, the most energetic and enthusiastic guy on the team not being in, it, it, it really, that I'm, I'm like, I'm bleeding because I've been scratching my head so much. I don't get why he got sat down for the last 10 games. I really, really don't. Peak head scratcher for me was Wednesday for that. The Flames are in Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, obviously a, a massive game for their season. The Calgary Wranglers are in Coachella Valley for a first place showdown with the Firebirds, a massive game for their season as they try to get that first round by. And it occurred to me that day, why is Jacob Pelche not playing in one of these games? If you're not going to use him in the NHL, let him go to the AHL and continue to build on the momentum that he's created for himself this season. And please don't mistake that for me saying, I think Jacob Pelche should have been in the AHL last week, but if you're not going to play him, get him playing somewhere. I believe he could have helped the Flames down the stretch. Are we having a different conversation if he's in the lineup? I'm not so sure about that, but I don't think that was the optimal Calgary Flames lineup that we've been watching for the past handful of games because for me, Jacob Pelche is one of their top 12 forwards. Yep. And I'm not suggesting that it. I mean, Nick Ritchie's taken a ton of heat. It wasn't his choice to go in the shootout. And I actually, like, in terms of the move he made, he gave it a shot. That's got to be next in the rapid fire, hey? I think the idea that Nick Ritchie with a chance to win or to extend your season, it's less about him and more about the choice to go that way. I think that's why there's been so much vitriol on that. Yeah. Um, and just to circle back quickly on Pelche, I'm not saying that it needed to be Pelche in for Richie, point blank. That's the only, but there have been different times where you could say, you know what? Milan Lucic maybe didn't need to play that night. That'd be a good uh, good place to get Pelche in. Or Nick Ritchie, that'd be a good place to get Pelche in. I just, there was no reason for him to sit for the final 10 games. On the Ritchie front, yeah, that's getting a lot of, uh, that's getting a lot of heat for him being the guy to go. I typically don't scrutinize shootout decisions all that much. But I, I do get it. Like, I, I understand yeah. the, again, you're like, wait a second. This is a chance to win a shootout and thus extend the season. And I give Richie, he credit. There was no lack of effort on a shootout. Try. He, he made a pretty good move and they were, I guess, playing the odds. This was, uh, this was the explanation given post game on Monday. We hadn't seen Nick Richie in a shootout, uh, situation for you guys. Uh, what was I thinking using him? Uh, he scored on him in a shootout before you pretty much, I think just watch, you probably got to go somewhere glove on him. Other than unless you're somebody like Johnny that can, do lots of different things. And I guess choosing him over, say, to Foley or Manjapane, I guess that's just... Not much the... difference. If you do the percentages or odds, it's, you know what, you're going on practice and going on guys that have scored against him prior. It's not It's not the point, really. It's had no bearing on the game. The difference is those great chances in overtime. 3-2 games. It's like a playoff game, right? So that was uh, Daryl Sutter 
uh, post game. And yeah, I, I, if I were a fan, I probably would have wanted to see Elias Lindholm or Dylan Dubé or Tyler Toffoli or somebody like that, Michael Backlund. And, you know, I know Backlund went fourth in the shootout, but I, I probably would have gone that way. Uh, I would yeah. have wanted to see that rather if I were a fan with the season on the line. Uh, it was. I think it's it's less about disliking Richie and more about the decision to go with the guy who isn't one of your top players with that magnitude of a shot. Yeah, Daryl Sutter has not been hesitant throughout this season to point out that they need their big guys to step up in big moments. And so while in game 51 of an 82-game season, I, I'm not sure anyone would have necessarily been too worried about selecting Nick Ritchie for the shootout, especially with the explanation that he is one of the few guys who has scored on, on UC Saros in a, a previous shootout. I think in game 82, if you always say we need our big guys and big moments, well, yeah, they don't have the best career f- stats in the shootout, but get your big guys out in that moment. It's win or you're done. So, Tyler Toffoli, your best score. Let's see him. I We would have said the same about Michael Backlund, not a guy who has had a lot of career success in the shootout, but get your key guys out there, and that's what Nick Ritchie isn't. Last point, it will be cool to see the lineup on, um, on Wednesday. Matt Coronado is going to play. Dustin Wolf, we believe, is going to play. No official recall as of what, what we're talking right now on Wolf, but... Looks like they're going to go recall route, recall route with Wolf. Um, that's from Elliot Friedman. Eric with the Eric Francis with the confirmation that indeed Coronado will play. I think that's one that we all expected, but good to get that confirmation and know it's going to happen. Maybe we see the fifth line of Ruzicka, Pelche, and Coronado get an opportunity. That Why not? Be neat. I mean, exactly. Why not? You know, Dustin Wolf making his NHL debut. That's pretty cool. Um, I'm curious to see what things look like, but at the very least, there's going to be something from a fan standpoint, as disappointing as this year has been, get a little look at the future in a meaningless game. Look, it's not all that different than Johnny Gaudreau in game 82 in 2014. That was a pretty neat opportunity for Flames fans to see, and I think it'll be, or or Sam Bennett in game 82. Right. I think it'll be pretty neat to see how that all plays out. And at the very least, it gives you something to sink your teeth into in game 82. Yeah. And I'm going to be curious to see who comes out for whatever young guys go in. And, and we absolutely should see Pelche. We know we're going to see Coronado. There's a couple guys, and I know this isn't top of the radar, but there's a couple guys in Dylan Dubé and Trevor Lewis that I know playing 82 games would mean the world to. And so I'm wondering if, with whatever changes come, Daryl Sutter finds a way to keep those two guys in the lineup for that reason. And I mean, if you wanted to put Coronado on the right side of Michael Backlund or put him on the right side of, you know, if, if you're not going to play Toffoli, put him on the right side of Toffoli. So I'd rather Lindholm. Right? Put him in position to succeed. Exactly. Because you know play what? That line of Rizicka, Coronado, and Pelche, give them 19 or 18 minutes and, and let them fly, right? Yeah. Because if they don't succeed, it doesn't matter. Yep. And if Matt Coronado goes into the summer thinking, geez, I need to, I got a lot to work on if I want to be an NHLer. You know, if I want to avoid starting my career with the Calgary Wranglers in the fall, 
this is all going to be really helpful for Matt Coronado. Yep. So one one or two positives and something to cheer for on Wednesday. The sun's coming back out. It's not all bad, Pat. I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked for Dustin Wolf too. That's pretty neat. That Good he's story. Get that opportunity. Uh, that'll do it for the sports drive today. That'll do it for this hour. Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg, Taylor, and Cam are producers. Uh, Colton on the board as well. Thanks to everybody behind the scenes. Uh, that'll do it for the sports drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.